Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Well, if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Peter, the book of 1 Peter in chapter number 4. We're marching through, still going through this wonderful book of 1 Peter, and we're now getting on the downhill slope of the book of 1 Peter, and we're in 1 Peter chapter number 4. The book of 1 Peter in chapter number 4. Again, the whole theme of 1 Peter is strengthening the brethren as a direct response to Jesus' uh, prophecy concerning Peter that when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. And now as persecution is about ready to hit, it's right around the corner that God inspires Peter through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He takes pen and paper and writes these things found in the book of 1 Peter, understanding that now is the time to develop the habit of obedience to Christ. Now is the time to start living for the Lord, knowing that persecution is around the corner. Now with this, we now come to 1 Peter chapter number 4. 1 Peter chapter number 4. And notice with me in verse number 1. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 1. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us, to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we have walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, mark a phrase that we find in the book of 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 2. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 2. Notice the end phrase, the will of God. The will of of God. And with the Lord's help, we would love to put an emphasis here on the will of God being strong in his will. Now, when considering the will of God, we understand that it's not a matter of finding God's will for our lives. Instead, it's a matter of finding our place in God's will, that he's already given these things for us to do. <laughs> What does he have me to do inside of his will? God already has a will that's going out and we could be a part of it. <clears throat> now, as we explain this, I think there's some things that we should probably lay a foundation on to have an understanding about God's will. First of all, that the plan for every man's life, the, the plan of God for every life. God created with every person with purpose. There is a reason why he created you. And with that reason, there is a plan for your life. There is a reason why you exist. There is a perfect will of God for every person's life. Notice if you don't mind a comparison here where it talks about in the verse number three, it talks about the will of the Gentiles and verse number two, the will of God. 
we find a contrast between the will of the Gentiles. May we say it like this? The will of the old life. That before you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have the old man. And that old man did whatever he wanted. And it was all about him and pleasing him. When you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, it does not eradicate that old man. You just have a new nature. And now you have that dual nature and you have to choose which one are you going to follow. Follow God's will or follow the old man. Follow the will of the Gentiles. Not everyone who becomes a Christian follows God's will. Now that's something important to note. That just because you get saved doesn't automatically mean that you're following God's will. It is a purposeful choice. But every person has a... A will of God in their life. Something that God has desired and created them for. And every person has the right and responsibility to find God's will for their life. There should be a decisive moment in your life where you surrender yourself and say, I want God's will. I want to find God's will for my life. What is it? How can I know it? And those answers are found in the Bible that you can find God's will for yourself. Which brings us to something else as we're laying a foundation dealing with God's will. The price God played, paid for that plan. The price that God paid for the plan. Jesus Christ died on the cross to give you a new life. So you did not have to live that same life that you lived before. Remember that when we got saved, there's we got sanctified. There's three tenses of sanctification found in the Bible. Inside of the English language, we have three tenses. We have past tense, we have present tense, and we have future tense. Dealing with sanctification or being set apart for God's will, as soon as we got saved, we were forgiven, we were freed from the penalty of sin. We were sanctified in the past. We were freed from the penalty of sin. We'll no longer owe God the sin debt anymore. That means that we're not under bondage. We have a brand new freedom. We're free from that penalty. On top of that, in the present tense, we are currently being saved from the power of sin. Meaning that we no longer have to sin. That also means that as a Christian when we sin, it is a willful purposeful choice. By the way, which is worse because we chose to sin and we did not have to. And then in the future tense, we, are, we will be saved from the presence of sin. That one day we'll have a brand new body that will be incapable of sinning. And will be removed from the presence and the ability to sin. Those are the three tenses of sanctification. But how did we get that? Because of, the penalty, uh, because of the price that Jesus paid on the cross of Calvary. That he paid for your sins and he paid for mine. Notice if you don't mind as we see this in verse number 1. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh. Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. So notice this in verse 1 and 2. That Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, he paid the price to free you from sin. You are freed from the penalty of sin, and you are freed from the power of sin. 
And he did that for a reason. For as much then as Christ has suffered, he paid a price for us in the flesh. Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. What is it talking about the same mind? Well, remember, it's all going back to 1 Peter chapter 2, where it says that Jesus Christ was our example. Why can we do a comparison? Why can we say that someone can follow God's will? Why can we say that they don't have to live in the flesh? Jesus Christ is our example. He was our example. Jesus Christ went to the cross even though his flesh did not feel like it. How do you know his flesh didn't feel like it? Because he said so. Lord, take this away from me, but not my will, but thine. He, nobody wanted to go suffer and die. If you knew that tomorrow you would go through a horrible accident and you had the choice not to go through the accident, all of us would say, nope, never mind. Not going to happen. And not if I don't have to. Nobody wants to hurt. Nobody wants to suffer. Remember, Jesus Christ, who was God, knew everything he was going to suffer. Every humiliation, every pain, he felt it all. And yet he chose to go through it anyways for you and for me. There was a willful choice that he made to follow God's will. Well, it says, for as much as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind that we would choose to follow God even though that is something we didn't necessarily want to do. Let's just be honest. There are times you don't feel like going to church. But you make a choice, even though I don't feel like it in the flesh, I'm going to go anyways because I believe this is what the Lord would have me to do. There are times you don't feel like reading your Bible. And you have the choice, do I get out of reading my Bible or do I do it Anyways, well, when you choose to do it anyways, you are choosing to follow after God's will in regardless to your wants. So we're seeing here that we, God has freed us from the penalty and the power of sin and that he has given us the choice to choose to follow God's will that we don't have to follow after him. For he that suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. He that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men. That we no longer have to live the rest of our life following our old nature, following our old man, following our will. But instead, we now have the choice of following the will of God. But God paid that price to give us that freedom. To give us that choice. Jesus Christ paid our price for us. That when he died on the cross, it just did not simply pay for our sins, period. But there are things that accompany salvation. And one of the privileges we have, and by the way, it is a privilege, not a curse, not a burden. It is a privilege to follow God's will. And he has given us this ability, this choice to follow God's will with this great price. Now, because he paid that price, it is a horrible thing for a child of God not to be obedient to God's will. Think about God's amazing love for you and what he did to give you this freedom. And for someone to take that freedom and say, you know what? I'm not going to follow after God's will. I appreciate you saving me, God. Forgive me my sins, but stay out of my life. I'll do whatever I want. What a horrible place that is. By the way, that is a choice. 
that Christians make. Most Christians do not choose to follow after Christ. Statement of fact, it's unfortunate. And yet they're missing out horribly. What a horrible thing to miss out after Christ died. Let me give you just a weak example. Let's say that um, Krista was playing out in traffic, not paying attention to what's going on, and uh, Miss Carol sees Krista playing out in traffic. And because she didn't want Krista to get squished by the semi-truck that's coming down, she pushes Krista out of the way, and Chris gets hit, or Carol gets hit instead. And Carol's in the hospital, and she recovers. But afterwards, every time Krista sees Carol, she doesn't even say hi to her. No card, no nothing, just whatever. Wouldn't that be messed up? After all of that? Well, Jesus Christ died on the cross so we wouldn't have to. Why wouldn't we want to please him? Why wouldn't we want to follow after him? Why wouldn't we want to, to ask him, what would you have me to do? What can I do for you? He's given us that freedom. Now, if Krista uh, never spoke to Carol, does it erase the fact that Carol saved her life? No. But because of thankfulness, we should be willing to follow after God's will. It is a horrible thing for a Christian not to obey and follow God's will, God's plan for their life. So as we're building up, we started off by explaining there is a will of God for every person's life. Every person has a plan. There is a purpose. There's a reason why God created you and there's a reason why God saved you. Then we explain that there is a price that was paid to give you that freedom where you had the choice to follow after God's will. And that the choice is that you should want to follow after God. Which brings us to another thing, the pathway to the plan. How do we follow God's plan? How do we follow that? Well, again, as I had said before, notice again, it says in verse 1, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. We've already explained before that Jesus in the flesh did not want to go to the cross of Calvary. Who would? But he yielded himself. That's the key word. Yielded himself. He yielded. Now, what's a yield? We have some kids who are doing driving school and getting their license. What is yielding? So, if you come to a path and you have a yield sign, that means you stop what you want it to do and allow them to have the right of way. That's yielding. When it comes to yielding in your life, you stop what you had planned, what you want to get done, and allow God to choose and to go first and to pick the path for us. We yield ourselves to Him. We are to arm ourselves with the same mind. Hold your finger here and let's see this demonstrated and explained to us in the book of Romans. The book of Romans chapter number 6. Romans chapter 6. I'm in Acts. No wonder it wasn't making sense to me. Romans chapter number 6. Romans chapter 6, notice with me in verse 11. Romans chapter 6 and verse 11. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead 
indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye shall obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourself unto God as those that are alive from the dead, your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Notice this word yield that's in here. Here you have to yield. You choose which path it is that you take. <laughs> it says, likewise, verse 11, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead. Now, notice this. That as we yield ourselves, we have to be dead to self. What does that mean? Well, dead means to be dead. Let's say that we had a dead horse on the platform. First of all, you'd ask the question, why in the world did we bring a dead horse and who dragged it? And how did we get it? But let's say that we had a dead horse here. And that horse, it's dead. It's laying there. It's not moving. And no matter what you do, that horse is not going to respond. You could lay down and sit right next to it and pet it and stroke it. Say, good horsey. Oh, you're a good horsey. And it will not respond. You could also elbow drop it and call it names and be mean to it. And it won't respond. Again, I don't know why you'd be beating a dead horse, but here's the illustration. When it talks about being dead, you are dead to self. What does that mean? You're dead to compliments and dead to complaints. You're dead to your ambitions, your goals, your desires, your way of thinking. You surrender those and you yield yourself to what God has for you. It's no longer my dream. I yield my dreams. I put them to death so that way I can have what God has given to me as a dream. I yield my way of thinking and allow God to have his way of thinking. I yield my plans for my life and I allow God to have his plans for the life. That's what it's speaking about. When we can have God's will, it's either one or the other. It is either the will of yourself or the will of God. They cannot be the one and the same. It's either or. You yield yourself to what God has for you. Let not sin therefore reign. That word reign means to carry the idea of ruling. Don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies. Why not? Because God has saved us from the power of sin. It doesn't have to reign for us. We can't have the excuse why I couldn't help myself. You can help yourself now because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. You don't have to sin. By the way, that's a freeing thought. I don't have to sin. I don't have to continue the way that I used to. Jesus Christ has freed me from that power. Let not therefore, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye shall obey it, meaning the sin in the lust thereof. Meaning that we're not going to obey you're going to obey something. You don't have to let obey sin. Obey what your flesh tells you to do. Neither yield your members as instruments, as unrighteousness unto sin. So here's the choice. We either yield our members to unrighteousness 
or yield yourselves to God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Here it is, we have the idea of a choice. Do we yield ourselves? Do we surrender ourselves? Do we allow God to have the right of way? Or do we insist that we are still in charge and driving and do whatever we want? Notice as it builds upon this in the book of Ephesians chapter number 4. The book of Ephesians chapter 4. And notice with me in verse 17. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17. Love the turning of scriptures that people could see for themselves. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Now notice here it's talking about the Gentiles that they're going to sin and they're doing it because they're blinded. They don't know any better. They're just following after. Verse number 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness cleanness with greediness. But, but ye have not so learned Christ. Meaning that's not what Christ has taught us. We haven't learned that example from Christ to follow what we want, to follow our desires. We learn from Christ to yield ourselves to what God's plan is. That's what Christ taught us. He was our example. He did that same thing on the cross of Calvary. Verse 21. If so be that you have heard him. And have been taught by him. As the truth is in Jesus. That you put off concerning the former conversation. Remember the word conversation carries the idea of behavior. Former behavior. Former conversation. The old man. Notice verse 22. You're supposed to put off the old man. Just like if I were to take off my coat. Put off. So we put off the old man. Notice again is this illustration. That you put off concerning the former conversation. The old man. Which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man. So verse 22. We put off the old man. Verse 24, we put on the new man. This indicates a choice. For example, when I woke up this morning, believe it or not, you may not believe this, I did not wake up in a suit. I had to put it on. And later on, I will take it off because I'm not going to sleep in the suit. You guys may not believe it, but I don't wear a suit 24-7. But to do that, it's a choice. You put off the old man. That's a willful choice. I yield myself. I'm not going to listen to the old man. I put on the new man. That's a choice that we have. This is that yielding of following after God. To yield our minds to the mind of Christ. Verse number 24. And that you put on the new man. Which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So here it is the choice. Do we yield ourselves, put off the old man, and put on the new man? Or do we keep on that old man clothes and do as we used to do? 
You said, well, I've got a choice. Yes, but God didn't give you a choice to sin. He gave you the choice to choose to follow after him, which is important because he has a will for you. He has a desire to use you. There's a reason why you exist. There's a reason why he saved you. Notice as we don't mind to put our emphasis on this, the book of Philippians chapter number two. Philippians chapter number two. In Philippians chapter number 2, notice with me in verse 13. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Here God is working in you. By the way, this whole context is talking about the peace of God and the peace from God. From the God of peace. Let me say that you'll never know true peace as long as you're fighting against him. You live your life one of two ways. Either by force or by faith. When you yield yourselves to God. Then you'll have the peace that he offers you. But when you're fighting against God. It's going to be miserable. The most miserable people I know. Are people. Are Christians. Who are not in God's will. Miserable people they are. Because God's still trying to work to do. To draw them close. And they're resisting and they're fighting against it. And they don't have the peace of God. He wants them to have peace. But because they're fighting and they're not surrendered. And God's still trying to work to do of his will. And of his good pleasure. God's continuing to work. And as we yield to him. <coughs> we have this. Let me go back to 1 Peter chapter number 4. And let me show you one last thing. The possibility of missing God's will. The possibility of missing God's will. Now, the book of 1 Peter is written to believers, not to Gentiles. And so, with this, we could see that as he's writing this and warning this, if he's writing this to, to believers, then it is possible for believers to miss God's will. That's why he's warning them. Notice with me in verse 2. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. There's no greater waste than the waste of a human life. To see someone miss God's plan. Praise the Lord that they're saved. But they miss God's will in their life. They miss what God has for them. And miss all the things that God has planned for them. God desires for us to know and to do God's will. Over and over you could see in the Bible where it deals with the will of God. Almost every... Um, Christian church epistle, as you start off in verse 1. The apostle Paul unto the Gentiles by the will of God. If you go back and look almost each one of those books, you could see in verse 1 where it talks about, I'm doing this by the will of God. You could see the apostle Paul writing uh, in the book of 2 uh, Timothy as he's getting ready. He says, I finished my course. I've kept the faith. How did he know he finished the course if he couldn't know what God's will was? God had a will for his life. The, my life verse, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, by the way, that means yield, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds, that you may prove 
the good, perfect, and acceptable will. That word prove doesn't mean find. It means that as I said, I believe this is God's will, and I follow it, then God puts evidence this was God's will. How can I have evidence that I'm following God's will if I didn't know God's will? We know that there's a general will of God that things that the Bible says that every Christian should do. Every Christian should read the Bible. Every Christian should go to church. Every Christian should give. Those are general will of God. But with it, God has a specific will of God for you. And God wants you to yield to him. May I show you one last passage as an illustration? The book of Isaiah 49. Again, how can I follow God's will? How can God make me the instrument? Talked a lot about being an instrument. How can I be that instrument? How, what is this? The secret is yielding. We see this demonstrated in the working of Isaiah to be the prophet that God desired him to be. In Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49. And notice with me in Isaiah 49. As you turn there, Isaiah 49. And notice with me in verse number 1. Isaiah 49 in verse 1. Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken, ye people, from afar. The Lord hath called me from the womb, and the bowels of my mother he made mention of my name. Now notice this. It's kind of like similar to Jeremiah's call in Jeremiah 1.5. That before Isaiah was born, God had a plan for his life. Verse number 2. And he, God, hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he hath made me, and made me a polished shaft. In the quiver he hath hid me. Here we could see this, that God had designed and made Isaiah an instrument. And he made Isaiah in the shadow of God's hand. That means in secret where no one's looking. And he said something interesting. He made me a polished shaft. Now let me tell you a little bit about the polished shaft. There was a missionary in Africa that had... Um, <coughs> working with uh, some of those tribes out in Africa. And he said as he was watching this, the African people, they had a ritual, a tradition of making <laughs> something amazing. In this part of Africa, they have the most crooked stick in all the world. It is crooked and gnarled and messed up. But what the tribes would do is they would take that gnarled, crooked stick and they would take a knife and cut off some of those edges, some of the extra branches hanging out, and they would cut off some of the knobs. Then what they would do is they would take that crooked stick and they would put it in the fire. And just ready, right when the stick was about ready to catch on fire, they would take the stick out. And they would take a wet rag and they would begin to rub on that stick. And an amazing thing would happen. That this crooked stick would begin to straighten out. Then what they did is they would uh, <coughs> take that stick and cut a little bit more. Cut some of the more of the knobs. Put some more things, notches into it. Then they would take the fire and they would put it, or take the stick and put it to a fire. And just as it's getting ready to catch fire again, they would take it out and they would take a wet rag and they would rub on it. And that stick would straighten out some more. And eventually it would finally, this crookedest stick in the world would be straight enough that they would put fletching on it and it would be an arrow. And they would put it in their quiver. 
But every now and again, this tribe would take the most crooked stick in the world and they would take a stick and they would cut upon it and then they would put it in a fire and then as they would uh, take it out, right when it caught on fire, they would take a rag and rub on it. But this time, they would begin to chant. Ooh, 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 ah, ah, ah. And they would do a special chant as they're rubbing that stick down and becoming straight. Then as they went through the process and made, and it became a straight arrow, they would put it in a quiver, but it would be in a special compartment inside of their quiver. And uh, the missionary watching this said, you know, I noticed this ceremony and it's amazing to watch this stick become straight. He says, but I noticed that every now and again that you do a special chant for this one specific stick and then you would put it in a special compartment. Tell me about that. And the native would say, well, this is my polished shaft. That was his word. Happens to match with what the Bible was saying. This is my polished shaft. He says, these regular arrow, me hunt rabbit, arrow go left or right, no big deal. Miss, it's fine. But lion chase me, leopard come after me. I choose polished shaft, arrow must not miss, must hit the target, must hit exactly where it aims. Life and death situation. Well, the same thing's here. That God, in order to make us an instrument in God's hand, he has handed to him a crooked stick. And we're crooked and gnarled and messed up. That old man, we're good for nothing, useful for nothing. But in God's hand, he begins to cut away some of the things in our life. Some of the things that aren't needed, he cuts away. And it's not fun, but it's that process. And then what God does is he places us in the fire. And just when we think we can't handle it, oh God, it hurts, I can't handle anymore. He pulls us out and he takes that rag. And an amazing thing happens in our life is we begin to straighten out. We become a little less crooked, a little less messed up, a little bit more usable. Then he cuts on it some more and oh, it hurts, God. Why are you taking this out of my life, Lord? Oh, why, God? And then he puts us in a situation of fire that we just, I don't know how I'm going to survive out of this. I don't know how I'm getting out of this. I don't know what I'm going to do. And just when we can't handle it no more, he pulls us out and he rubs us down and we become straighter until finally we become a weapon in God's hand. Now, there is a choice we could be a plaything in God's hand where he uses us and go chasing rabbits. No big deal. We miss. Ah, no big deal. But Isaiah here is saying he made me my mouth a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hath made, hid me and made me a polished shaft. He says, I don't want to be a plaything. I want to be used in life and death situations. I want to be used that God can trust me to get the job done. He could trust me to be the instrument in God's hand. Now, how does this come about? Yielding. Because we have a choice. We can say, Lord, I don't want this no more. I don't like the cutting. I don't like you interfering with my life. I, I quit and yield and fight against it. We could get to the place where God's putting us in the fire and we say, I don't like this. I don't want to be here no more. And try to get out of that fire and fight against the master trying to make us. By the way, that will only last for so long before finally, after not yielding and not yielding and not yielding, 
God says, all right, fine. If you don't want to be used, I'll make something else. You understand this yielding to God is an important thing. Because God is looking for instruments to use in his work. Think of all the people that need to be saved. Think of all the people that need to be reached, that need to be discipled. Many things that we could be used to do. But that will only come as we yield ourselves to God's will. Yield ourselves to what God's doing. By the way, this making is always done in secret. When nobody else knows what you're going through and nobody seems to see what's happening, God is making you. And he's making you in secret. And let me tell you that there is no easy way for this process. There is that cutting. And it is not fun to watch these things be cut out of your life. There are, that fire is no fun. Every Christian, there is no easy way to serve God. But to be put in that fire, I can't handle it no more. I'm going to die. I'm going to be consumed. Lord, help. And then watch God answer and bring us out. That's the process of being made. Remember, Jesus knew he was going to the cross. And he yielded himself anyways. And the Bible says, likewise, have the same mind. Knowing that this is the process that's necessary. Yielding ourselves anyway. Lord, I know it's going to hurt. Lord, I know this is the process in here. Lord, I yield myself. You do what it takes to make me that instrument. To make me that person. If you need to cut some things out of my life. Lord, I know it's not going to be fun, but do it. Lord, if you need to put me in more situations to make me the person. I want to be an instrument. I yield myself to you. It's all about the yielding. Are you yielded? Are you surrendered? God has a will for you. He has a plan for you. Our part is to yield. And allow him to do the making. Allow him to do the choosing. Allow him to give us his will. And we yield. And allow him to be the God. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.